0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabaniss. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be together. Uh, especially like to welcome you if you're new here. We've not met before. My name's Craig, I'm one of the pastors, and it's it's our joy to have you with us. Thanks for coming and worshiping with us today. Uh, we are uh, working our way, kind of teaching through the book of Acts, which is a book that describes what what life was like in the very first church or the very first churches in the first century. And today we're gonna look at the city of Antioch and what God is doing there, and um, so I'm gonna kind of give a little bit of background, we'll walk through the passage, and then at the end I'll try to make some application to how this is relevant for all of us because it immediately won't appear relevant, uh, perhaps to you, but I, I trust that it is relevant for all of us. In chapter 11, uh, we read about some unnamed Christians just sharing the gospel with Gentiles, and uh, some people gathered, and basically a church was was birthed, and so the lead church in Jerusalem uh, sent down a guy named Barnabas to check it out and see if, if they had the real message of Christ, and they did, and he encouraged them, and then he wanted to help them more, so he went and got a guy named Saul, whose name becomes Paul in today's chapter for the rest of the books, I'll probably just call him Paul, but at any rate. He brought him down there, and they taught together for a year to sort of lay foundations in this church uh, in Antioch. And then what happened was a prophet came and said there's going to be a great famine, so uh, Barnabas and uh, Paul, these two leaders, they went to Jerusalem and delivered an offering, some money to provide food for people in Jerusalem, and then they come back, and that's where we pick up today. They're coming back, and they are. Uh, we're going to read about the first missionary journey of Paul. So listen to God's word. We're going to do ch- uh, about the first part of chapter 13, but we're going to start with the last verse of chapter 12 to begin. So this is twelve twenty-five. Uh, through thirteen twelve, the book of Acts, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers: Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, the passage starts out telling us a little bit about the leaders in Antioch. So this new church has formed, and we see that there is a, um, a really uh, diverse group of leaders here. This is a cosmopolitan city, uh, meaning it's multi-ethnic, uh, it's culturally diverse, Antioch is, and we see that that is reflected in the people that God gathers at the beginning of this church. So it says in verse 1, there is Barnabas. Uh, we read earlier he's from Cyprus. We're going to be going to Cyprus here this morning. Uh, Cyprus is their Hawaii, uh, and it still is. I was looking at pictures of Cyprus this week, and so that's uh, that's where Uh, He is from an island guy there. And then they have with them a Simeon who is called Niger. Niger is Latin for black. So Simeon is a black man uh, likely from North Africa, uh, which is close, relatively close to where they are. Um, Then there is Lucius who's definitely from North Africa uh, for he says he's uh, from Cyrene, which is in Libya. Then there is a guy named Manan who grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, or the NIV says, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, there's a lot of Herods. So there was the Herod uh, who um, was present when Jesus was born, that's not this Herod. Then there's the Herod who questioned Jesus after his arrest. That's this Herod. So he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, which means that Menahan grew up in a well connected. Uh, family situation, if he grew up in this sort of uh, especially privileged environment connected to the guy who becomes the ruler over the whole area of Palestine, uh, given that role from the Roman emperor, then we know he grew up with uh, probably a lot of opportunity and a lot of uh, culturally well-connected is what he was. And then we see there's also a guy named Saul, who you saw now is going to be called Paul from here on out, uh, because Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul is the name that would be more connected uh, in the Greco-Roman world, in the Gentile environment. So probably missionally, uh, he starts going by Paul instead of Saul. He's from Tarsus, and he is a trained Bible scholar who will end up writing a significant part of the New Testament. He has deep Jewish roots so he comes from much more of a Jewish background than some of the others. And it is such a gift for this church and this city to begin with a, a, a diverse leadership of prophets, bringing uh, prophetic words, and also teachers as well. And I just wanted to pause a second here and say something to you, that that is a value for us as a church as well. And I just wanted to communicate that we want to grow as a church. Um, We want to grow at seeing leaders at every level of ministry in the life of our church uh, that are diverse in leadership, whether it's leadership in in serving, teaching in our children's ministry, our student ministry, uh, whether it's in our women's ministry or our men's ministry, whether it's in our small group ministry, uh, we have lots of different kinds of small groups, uh, whether it's in our deacons or our elders. We want to see uh, throughout our church a, uh, a diverse leadership. Uh, we pray for that regularly, and I just want to invite you to pray, if you're not already, that you'd be praying for that as well. Uh, we are, as a pastoral team, working on this in very, some very practical ways Now, I do want to say we don't want diversity for diversity's sake, uh, which is often a cultural value, but not necessarily a biblical value. Rather, we want our leadership to reflect our congregation, we want it to reflect our city, uh, and we want to deploy all the leaders that God provides uh, in our church. And so they have this very diverse leadership group, and these leaders, along with the church, are worshiping the Lord, they are fasting before the Lord, and the Lord launches his in church into mission, into reaching these unreached uh, Gentiles in the Roman Empire. And so I'm going to look at several things that happen in the chapter. And the first one is this, that the Spirit sends. The Spirit sends, S-E-N-D-S. Acts 1.8 gave us the agenda of the book. Jesus said to his disciples that uh, you, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses uh, in, Ju- in Jerusalem and all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit, from the very beginning, falls upon his original, the original church disciples, the apostles, so that they may take the gospel to the end of the earth. And as we trace Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, which starts today, and this first one, we'll kind of talk about it next week as well, we learn something very simple as we trace this out. And we learn that the Holy Spirit sends out so that people may be saved. The spirit sends so that people may be saved. The Lord's saving work usually begins with sending. And if you're here today as a Christian, someone was sent to you. Someone came to you with the gospel. And it's worth thinking about that, thinking about the importance and the value of sending. When I was in the first grade, we, my family had newly, we had just moved into this uh, new area, developing area in North Houston. And um, a guy knocked on our door, and he was a church planter. He was moving to the area, and he was uh, had been sent to North Houston, and he was starting a church, and he invited our family. My dad was not a believer, not a churchgoer, but my mom was a believer and brought us and I went there in the first grade, met in an elementary school auditorium. I, I actually can remember a few, I had these few memories of being there. And uh, so my mom was obviously a primary spiritual influence in my life. But also in that church which was planted, I sat under loving Sunday school teachers that I can remember that did the kids ministry and taught me. I sat under the guy who knocked on our door, his sermons, because this was old school, where you went to Sunday school first, and then you, the kids did, and then everybody went to the worship service, and so I heard him as well, and after five years of Sunday school teachers and five years of this guy's sermons, God converted me. And so in the fifth grade, I became a Christian, and my testimony is obviously God gave me a Christian mom and sent her to me, which is phenomenal, but my testimony is that the Lord's saving usually begins with sending, because someone was sent where we were, invited us to a new church, we participated in that, and ultimately the Lord used that to save me. And so usually the Lord's saving begins with someone being sent. And you may not even know who it was. I happen to know in my situation, but you may not even know who came and started something and then you showed up and heard the gospel. And so as they are worshiping and fasting, they, they hear something from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to them. And this is what the Holy Spirit says. Antioch, new church, take your best two guys and send them out. That's what he says. Send send these leaders that that helped set the foundations of the church, uh, Barnabas and Saul, and send them out. Send out Barnabas, who we've talked about a couple different sermons. The son of encouragement. He was just known as Mister Encouragement. That was his. Name. That's what they called him, Mister Encouragement, a son of encouragement. So send the guy who has brought so much grace and so much encouragement to you in your new faith and your founding he's gone. Oh, and the guy he brought in who's the best teacher in the history of the church, uh, I think we would say, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's leaving too. So both of them, they are going to leave. And the first people that encouraged you and taught you and pastored you uh, are going. And so this had to be painful for the church. But there was a call to for others to be saved. And the Lord. Uh, The Spirit sends in order to save, and so he sends them, and it's costly to the church. It's costly. We can only imagine what it would have been like for them. Some may have said, are we sure we heard the Holy Spirit on that one? Uh, Can't we send that guy? You'd like to get rid of him, frankly, so couldn't we send him? Why aren't we sending these two leaders? And I just want to make a connection for us right now, because we as a church uh, are experiencing a costly sending as well. The Spirit's not sending folks from our church uh, to reach an unreached people like these two were, but we are sending folks out on a church planting mission. Uh, May not be the unreached people, but a place where there's spiritual opportunity, where there's spiritual need in in the city of Anna. And we're sending out people who will uproot their relationships here, who have served here, who've been faithful here, who've been in your community group. Um, who've influenced others, who we've laughed with and cried with, and the Lord will move them out of our network of relationships, out of our relationships, our regular relationships. I'm not going to remove them from friendship, I don't mean that, but move them from our regular sort of church life relationship. And that includes one of our pastors, Rob. Uh, who's actually in Africa right now. He's in Sierra Leone, so he, he uh, is not here. That's a pretty good excuse not to be here, but he's on a mission trip there. But he will uh, be sending Rob and his family. Rob's been a leader in our church since this church started 18 years ago. And so that's deep roots, and it is costly to send. Some of you will feel the loss of friends who um, are moving, going to a different uh, area of town, The church will say goodbye with a send-off, like they had here. We'll send them off this summer at some point. Don't have an exact date for that. But the Spirit sends so that people may be saved. Why would someone uproot their relationships? Why would someone leave a church they love to go start a new church? Because the Lord sends in order to save. And there might be a little first-grade Craig running around, Anna, or a girl, Craigina. Craigina running around Anna, who needs the gospel, (laughs) who needs the gospel. You don't know what family, what person, what person in need, who are they going to meet, what leader like Paul and Barnabas meet, what city leader, who knows what doors are going to open. But we just see that their sending is powerful and beautiful, but when it affects you personally, it can be painful, and certainly it was for this church. So the Spirit sends. Secondly, the church confirms after further fasting and prayer, they laid hands on them and sent them off, verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the church plays a key role here in commissioning Paul and Barnabas. I like that word commission. It's mission with. It's to mission with, to, to co-mission, to be a part of the mission with them. They send them with a prayer of blessing. And, and it's a partnership, and we're going to see this as we go through Acts, because Paul and Barnabas are going to return to their home church, and they're going to tell everything that happened. And there's going to be this sort of, hey, we're, we're in this together. Look what the Lord did, this reporting to their church family. Uh, it's going to be uh, in- encouraging. But it's important to note that when God calls someone that he confirms it through his people that he sends with blessing and partnership and commissioning. Paul and Barnabas aren't just independent freelancers, unaccountable, just going out and with an entrepreneurial spirit and a Bible and going to do something new. The, the New Testament doesn't, doesn't, doesn't depict ministry like that, these sort of lone rangers doing their own thing. They are sent by the leaders and they are sent by their church. And so we'll have the opportunity to send Rob in and in a team. And the beauty of it is they will feel our support that they are being sent from us. There's folks joining them from a church in Melissa as well that's sending people. So they will, they will feel our support as a sending church. They will feel, feel our endorsement. They will, uh, they will feel support from our denomination, Trinity Fellowship. Churches, and it's so important to be connected. When we first moved here and planted this church, uh, you know, in 2005, Frisco's changed a little bit since then, but when we came here in 2005, um, I was asked two questions regularly. One, I never anticipated, and one I hadn't thought a lot about, but I was always happy to be asked the question. The first question that I'd never anticipated is, we're just starting at the very beginning, very beginning in Fisher Elementary over uh, in the Trails neighborhood off Main Street, and people would come and they would say, when are you getting a building? And when we started, I'd be like, we're trying to find out if we got goldfish crackers back in the nursery and if the drummer can keep a beat. What do you mean? When are we, We're figuring out some basic stuff here. We're not really thinking about when are we getting a building. We, we would like to be able to pay our rent uh, and uh, you know, just be able to cover the basics here. So I never really understood when are you going to have a church building for like from day one. I didn't think that was the most important question. But here's the other question I got asked a lot, which is very important and very discerning. So who are you with? Who sent you? Uh, Who are you accountable to? And what they're asking is, I'm not sure I want to show up in an elementary school cafeteria with my family and invest, uh, you know, our lives in a church plant if you're some Lone Ranger freelancer doing your own thing that could be here today and gone tomorrow. And so being sent, being deputized, sort of, uh, you know, authenticated, Commissioned is so important in this kind of ministry. And certainly Paul and Barnabas had deep connections. Barnabas went all the way back to the original church in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. They, had, they, could have, they could have said, hey, we are connected here. Our doctrine's been checked by the very people that walked with Jesus. We're being supported by a group that's praying for this and cares about us in Antioch. So we want to, I just think it's so important to point that out, <clears throat> that you see that in the New Testament. <clears throat> and we want to be a church, really, friends, that are, that's like the Antioch Church, a church where people pray for mission, a church where people seek guidance for mission, a, a church that is an ascending church, which we historically have not been uh, like we want to be, but that's changing now. A church that's willing to release people, a church that commissions people. I was talking to somebody well, last week, and they asked me a question about, you know, what do you think is going to happen in the next five years of the church? And um, I'm always pretty careful answering that kind of thing, because who knows? You know, you never can predict. But I shared a few thoughts, and one of them I shared was, well, I hope we're able to plant more churches. I hope in the next five years we'll plant another church. I'm not moving on past Anna to the next one yet. Let's enjoy this process. Let's celebrate this. Let's support this team and see a church uh, anchored in the community there and and built out. But I I pray that we could be like this, that we could be a church that is uh, sending leaders to other places with the team to plant churches because I think it's, it just shows the life of the Holy Spirit in a church, the power of the gospel, the sense that, that God is moving and that people are saved as the Lord sends as well. So we pray for that. So the Spirit sends, the church confirms. The next thing that happens is the missionaries preach. The missionaries preach. Paul and Barnabas, they uh, They travel. Verse four, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let me, show you, um, let me show you a map of the area, the broad area that they are in. And I looked at a ton of color maps, and man, they were doing too much. They were so detailed and confused, so I said, just give me something basic, black and white, and that's what we ended up with, kind of uh, old school here. So up here, just to give you an, an idea where we are, up here's Italy, so you know Italy, Over here, Achaia, Achaia, Corinth, that's Greece. Down here is Jerusalem. So they started in Jerusalem, all Judea to Samaria. And now we're up in Antioch going to the end of the earth. That's where we are. So they start here in uh, Antioch is where the church is. Now if we can see the next slide, please. This will show their their travel. So they are in Antioch. What is that verse? Is it 4 says they went down to Seleucia? And then they sailed 130 miles to the island of Cyprus. And they started out in uh, Salamis, it says, and then they went across to Paphos uh, there. And uh, Paphos, I looked it up this week, man, you can, there are some, it it looks beautiful. I've never been there, but it uh, it looks, it was the, it was the, 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 um, Sort of the headquarters where the uh, the proconsul was seated, it was the roman empire 's um, governing city for the island of Cyprus. Right there, So that kind of shows you where they went, if you like maps and like to be able to track where they went. It says in verse 5 that when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. So that's, you know, that's not surprising. You know, we think, well, I thought Paul was going to the Gentiles. But it makes sense to start off in the synagogue, for they are already believe what we call the Old Testament, what they call the Hebrew Bible. They already believe that. The Hebrew Bible speaks of a Messiah, so there's an open door to say, hey, we're on the same page, Paul's Jewish background, we're on the same page uh, with the uh, Hebrew Bible and with the hope of a Messiah, and we're here to tell you who that is, Jesus. So that makes sense that they would start there. They start there, then they travel over to Paphos, uh, which I mentioned is the seat of the authority for the Roman province. Uh, It's ruled by a proconsul named Sergius Paulus, we read about him, verse 7 says he's a man of intelligence, Um, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence ruled sort of that area, and it says, verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island to Paphos, that they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, now Bar means son of, so he was going by the name son of Jesus, or son of Yahweh saves, uh, however you want to view that name, but Uh, He is there with the proconsul. So it's interesting, isn't it, that a man of intelligence uh, endorsed by Rome to rule this territory um, as a proconsul, that he has a court magician with him, a a guy in the magical arts. And why would that be? It doesn't necessarily sound like a man of intelligence, but it was very common in the time. And it, it was common because when it says magician, this is not a guy Who's doing pick a card, any card? That that is that that's your third grade kid. That this is this is a guy who's more into the reason they call him a false prophet is his magic probably had to do with discerning the future. Um, He may have uh, or likely would have been an astrologer of sorts, someone who could uh, use magical art, the magical arts, who could use various discerning methods, who could use. Astrology to tell what's going to happen, and that's very valuable to a uh, to someone a proconsul who's facing making decisions uh, for the people of Cyprus. That would have been very common back then. So this guy Bar Jesus, it says that he tries to turn. Um, the proconsul away. The proconsul, verse 7, summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he hears about them, he says, I want to hear what you are talking about. Uh, in verse, uh, and then it says that, that, uh, that uh, Elamus, the magician, that's also his other name, Elamus, he opposed them, verse 8, and he was seeking to turn <clears throat> the proconsul away from the faith. So he's trying to say, don't listen to these guys. He's putting barriers. He's giving him reason not to believe. He must have been hounding him somewhat because Paul really goes off on him in a Holy Spirit rebuke, man. He just, verse 10, he says, you son of the devil. I mean, that's about, you're not bar Jesus, you're bar Satan. You're son of the devil. That's literally what he says. You're not son of Jesus, you're son of the devil. Uh, There is a place for a sound Holy Spirit-led rebuke. We live in an age where the the, the highest virtue uh, is tolerance, which means that you would never critique what someone else is saying or doing with regard to the truth of the Bible and especially hindering evangelism. But in this case, and I'm not suggesting you just go around and calling everybody son of the devil who, did, who differs with you and think you're, you're holy, you're probably foolish, but there is a time where he is saying, look, here's what you're doing. You are the enemy of righteousness. You're full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? There is a straight path between the Lord and Sergius Paulus. There's a straight path between the gospel and this guy's heart and Bar-Jesus is trying to make it crooked, to deceive, to make it confusing so that there's not this penetrating gospel message going to him. And so he says that and then the Lord blinds him. Verse 11, behold, the hand of the Lord's upon you. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. So there's this mist and darkness that fall on him, and he has to go around asking somebody to lead him. So he goes from uh, supposedly predicting the future, which he didn't. He was a false prophet, the text said. But went from predicting the future, being the amazing uh, magic arts guy, Uh, Tapping into the dark side and finding out all kinds of mysteries of what's going to happen. Now the guy can't even walk without somebody leading him. It's quite a turn of events for the magician. And the lights go off for him and the lights come on at the same time for Sergius Paulus. Verse 12, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The Lord sends in order to save, and in this case, it was a proconsul. So the Spirit sends, the church confirms, the missionaries preach, and finally, the Lord saves. Verse 12 is a very interesting verse, because it says, when he saw what had occurred, he, pro- he believed, rather, verse 12, he believed when he saw what occurred, for, because, here's the reason he believed, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is powerful. It is the message of the gospel that converts him. There is a power encounter that's pretty dramatic. The, the magician goes blind. There's a mist over him. It's a powerful encounter, a great start to Paul and Barnabas's mission, and yet it is not the miracle that he puts his faith in. It says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It was the message of the gospel. It was the good news of Jesus that caused him to want to believe and trust in the Lord, the missionaries preach, and the word, the teaching of the Lord, bears fruit and grants new life to this guy, the proconsul Sergius Paulus so that 's the first part of the missionary journey, the sending and the delivering of the gospel now. You could be sitting there and thinking, unless this is a missionary commissioning service, unless we're sending people to the unreached, or unless we're praying for our church planting team, unless we're doing something like that, this seems somewhat irrelevant. I mean, this doesn't really speak to my marriage problems, this really doesn't help me to get out of debt, this doesn't uh, help me get my insane boss, uh, learning how to deal with my insane boss, this doesn't uh, help me with my health, Uh, this isn't building my Bible study life even. What, how is this uh, valuable to me? Well, let, let me say a couple of things as, uh, as we close for application. The first one is this. While Paul and Barnabas are sent, the teaching of Scripture throughout teaches that we are all sent. We are all sent here. And by here, I mean wherever God's placed you. The, the, the Great Commission in John John 20, 21. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. That we all are to live with the identity of a sent one. Maybe not changing location, it doesn't mean moving, but it means intentionally living where God has placed you as one who is sent. That we all, just as they are sent, there is a reality in which We are all sent, and I don't want to just lose that and say, well, only missionaries are sent, only church planters are sent. No, everybody is sent to the place that he has placed us, the schools, the workplaces, the neighborhoods, your family. We all get to be in on this. It's not that mission is the special calling of an elite few. It's that every one of us is called to God's mission in the place that he has placed us. And often we don't embrace that identity. We just think, well yeah, somebody else is doing something and we don't think about the fact that God wants to use us where we are. That God wants to use us in our job and in our neighborhood. We see ourselves as not gifted We say ourselves, well, I don't know all the answers. If somebody asks me questions, I can't share the gospel. What if they ask me something I don't know? Well, look at how badly I sinned this week. Who am I to talk about Jesus to anybody? And we don't see that our entire life is to be lived as a light in the darkness. This is what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I am sending you wherever he's called you to be, and he wants to shine through your life, through your character. Well, I'm not perfect well of course you're not. So when you blow it, you admit it, that's humility. You ask forgiveness if you've sinned against someone, and right there you're completely countercultural to most of the people we live around. And it's an opportunity to shine the light. Remember, who started this church in Antioch? It's not Barnabas and it's not Saul, Paul, it's it's people we don't even know their names who just started sharing the gospel. If there's any proof in the Bible that regular people are part of the mission, it's the church at Antioch, because it was founded by regular people, uh, not apostles, missionaries, sent one. So we all live sent. That's the first thing I just wanna say, so we don't misunderstand a passage like this. We're all sent here, meaning here, wherever he's placed you. Secondly, we're all called to participate in mission there. So we all have a place to play and that's part to play and that's really clear in the text as well. You may not be sent as a missionary to reach unreached people. Most of us aren't. You may not be sent out on a church plant but we're all called to participate in some way in those missions there. Whatever the mission is there, we're all called to play a part. We're called to pray. In this case, they are fasting. We're called to give. We're called to bring encouragement to those who go by sending them uh, encouragement letters or emails or texts, sending them encouragement. Uh, We're called to uh, help out short-term in some cases, to help out short-term. In a few weeks, uh, we will be praying for a group of people, that are going to Cameroon, Africa, on a short-term support trip to support missionaries there. And these missionaries are absolutely reaching unreached peoples. They're reaching people that don't have the gospel, in some cases, don't even know how to read and write, don't have an alphabet, all kinds of stuff. But they are reaching them, and we're sending people from our church to go support and strengthen them. So the people on this team aren't saying, God told me to move into a village of unreached peoples, but they are saying, I can take time off work, I can pay money to get over there, and I can serve in some way to bless them. So one way is we support uh, short-term, serve people that are are called to go. So when we do pray for them as a team, let's commit ourselves to seriously pray, not just like a nod, yeah, okay, we prayed for them, hope it goes well. Um, you know, bring me back a souvenir. No, we're, we're let's be praying while they are there that God really would use them, and you'll hear more about that in a few weeks. You can support the Anna Church plant. They're called the They're called Resurrection Church is the name of the church. Resurrection Church as they prepare to plant. You can give to that church on our website as they are preparing. You can give to them uh, even now. Uh, you can pray. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity this summer to help them with a short term outreach uh, in July that you will hear more about. You can support team members, those who are going, man, how are you doing? How, how, are, how are things going? Tell me about your preparation to be a part of the new church. Uh, how can I pray for you? What can I do? There will be practical opportunities to serve them. I'll help you move. I mean, that's part of the mission. Beyond here, I'm helping you move, not to reach people in Frisco and connected communities. I'm I'm helping you move so that you can put down roots in Anna and you can reach people there. I can practically help. What what are the kinds of things that we can do? And, And may I say, I mentioned prayer, may I just say, never minimize the power of prayer. Acts 13 makes this very clear. God takes earnest prayer and does amazing things with it. Amazing things with it. There was a Scottish preacher in the 1800s named Thomas Chalmers, and this is what he famously said. Chalmers said, prayer does not enable us to do a greater work for God. Prayer is a greater work for God. It doesn't just enable us to do a greater work, it is a greater work. In the story we just read in Acts 13, you cannot separate the conversion of the proconsul, the ruling guy on the island of Cyprus. You cannot separate his conversion from the prayers of regular people in Antioch. It's a connected process. They're praying, they're fasting. God says, sin. They lay hands on him and sinned. And we, we trust they continued to pray. And God save someone uh, who has influence in the area. God opens a door so that they have, they have uh, an open door with the ruler of the area. We are all a part. We all have joined God's mission. In a book called Seek First, Jeremy Treat says the following, I love this quote. He says, the church is not an event you attend, it's a mission you join. And your part in the mission may differ from someone else's part, and that's fine. But everybody can play the part, Of prayer, and so when you joined Grace Church, you joined whatever kind of mission God opens up for us. Which in the next few months I've mentioned too to you, Cameroon and Anna. Uh, But the Lord has many other opportunities for us, and we'll have opportunities. So you didn't just join a meeting on Sunday morning; you joined a movement of what God is doing through a people, and He's calling us all to play a part practically, financially, through prayer, through encouragement and to celebrate all that he does. Lastly, I just want to say, realize the power of the gospel. That's relevant for every one of us. I I love this story that it doesn't say, he saw the blinded magician and said, whoever blinded that magician, I'm gonna follow that God. That's not what he said. He saw the miracle, verse 12, but it says, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is what happens with the gospel. When we hear it, God opens our hearts, at some point opens our hearts, and we're astonished by the truth of the message. That is the power. You, If you know the gospel, you have the message that God uses to resurrect spiritually dead people, to take blind people and give them sight, to take dead people and give them life. That is the power, it brings conviction. Someone can be amazed by a miracle, it can grab someone's attention, But it doesn't convict their heart of their need for a Savior. Only the gospel does that. Only the message of Jesus tells someone, You are lost and you need to be found by Christ. You are dead and you need to be brought to life. So sometimes people say, Well, I would believe if I saw a miracle. Uh, Probably not. The reason I say that is here, it wasn't the miracle that converted him. It was the teaching of Jesus. And looking at the life of Jesus, all kinds of people saw miracles. 5,000 people were fed miraculously, Jesus producing food out of thin air. And they all, at the end of that, just went on their way. They didn't bow down and say, praise God, the Messiah has come. I'm following him. They did not do that. Time after time, people were healed and delivered, and and it doesn't say that they instantly all became followers of Jesus. We think, if yeah, if God would give me a sign, then I would believe. He's given you all you need in the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, that he died for sinners, that he was buried and rose on the third day, and he calls you to submit to him, to believe in him, to follow him. He offers you the gift of eternal life, to be connected to the one who created you and the one who loves you and redeemed you for all eternity. Don't wait for God to do this thing or that thing or that other thing. He's already done the great thing, the only thing that you need in the cross and the resurrection. And, And may you trust the Lord for those that you love as well, that you're praying for, that you're trying to share the gospel with, that you want others to bring the gospel to them. Trust the Lord. It's, it's not what will save them. It's not if this thing happens or that thing happens. It's if God opens their heart with the gospel. That's what will save them. So all the power relies in the Holy Spirit using the gospel. He was astonished at their teaching. So think about this. We're all sent here. We're all called to participate on what God is doing is he joined us together, his mission there, and he uses the gospel as the power for all that he will do. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.